Success can be measured in many ways, especially in the music business. Sell out Madison Square Garden? You're doing pretty well. Sell a million records? People know your music. Get a residency at your local casino? Not quite there. However, you know you've truly reached the top of the mountain if your record label asks you to record a Christmas album. This tradition has existed for almost as long as popular music has been recorded. Irving Berlin wrote White Christmas for Bing Crosby in 1941. Rock Around the Christmas Tree became a hit for Brenda Lee in 1958. My favorite Christmas song, This Christmas, was written and recorded by Donny Hathaway in 1970. Well, I think we all know where this is leading. The song that haunts our dreams every holiday season. The ubiquitous jingle that pervades our society for two months. That's right. Mariah Carey's 1994 smash single, All I Want for Christmas is You. I equate this to running a very successful Christmas tree farm. You put in work for a month of the year, watch all your income roll in, and then live off the earnings on a private island for 11 months. To be fair, I don't really know any Christmas tree farmers, so I'm kind of making an assumption here. Yeah, it checks out. Seriously, Mariah, the queen of Christmas, makes a lot of money from this song year in and year out. It becomes the most played song on Spotify every December. What made this contemporary holiday jingle so enormously popular? All I want for Christmas is to discuss the song we all love to hate, but probably secretly love. Okay, couple of things. First of all, speaking of speaking of casino residencies, um, uh, I mentioned I was recently in Lake Tahoe, just across the border from uh, various casinos in State Line, Nevada, uh, and uh, one of them uh, was advertising Night Ranger. Oh yeah, Sister um, Christian. Yes, exactly. So, so, so sorry, like, people also don't know. I was with young people, and they were like, "What? What is Night Ranger?" And, and I said, "Sister Christian, know the time has come." And they were like, "I still don't know that." And then you're like, <laughs> "The motor Yes. And, and they're like, "Oh, oh, okay, yeah, got it." How Bo- many times nights. do you think uh, they have to play that song each at each show? <laughs> uh, the the infamous Spin Doctor show that I've talked about on this uh-huh. on this. Uh, podcast before they did play two princes twice yep real real quick speaking of casinos they've been showing an ad that blue oyster cult is coming to one of the casinos around here soon and just from the videos they show of the band they look like the most boring live band in the history of live bands like they're doing themselves a disservice where i'm like i kind of like blue oyster cult but now watching this video i don't want to go and see them yeah, I mean, first of all, definitely they're getting to the age where they're starting to burn out the day, burn out the night. Oh, I was going to say fear the reaper. <laughs> oh, but, okay. Um, I I feel like I like Blue Oyster Cult, or at least their hit songs, but I do not imagine them as like a vivacious live band based on those songs. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. They're 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 not running around like crazy. Okay, so I love this song. All I want for Christmas is you. Unironically, I do too. Yeah. It's it's such a well-written song. It's an incredibly well-written song. And, like, no matter how good a vocalist you think Mariah Carey is, like, just listening listening to this, like, every time, like, oh, she's that much better than I thought, even. How is that possible? She, I mean, like, she makes it se- seem easy, what she's doing, and it's it's so far from, it's the, the opposite of easy. She does so many amazing things with her voice in this song. It, it's funny to say, she only really uses a three-octave range in this song. because she, Two octave. Two octave, think, yeah. But, but she's got a five-octave range, so it's like, well, she's really staying in the bounds in the boundaries of her range on this song but she still does all of these melismas and crazy things with her voice 
but keeps it in check enough that it's like yeah, yeah. people can sing along with it and it's not like a well, you know, it's a pretty song, but we can't really do anything with this. Right. Like you put this on at a Christmas party and everybody's singing along with it, right? Oh yeah. I just I did this at karaoke like uh, a couple weeks ago in Tokyo with locals and everybody knew this song. I sang it two steps down, pretty good. I don't I think I'd have to go even further than that. Mm-hmm. But like, there was some there was some uh, falsetto. So, this song was written in 15 minutes in the middle of 1994 wow. by Mariah Carey and her writing partner at the time, Walter I'm totally going to screw this up. Afanasyev I was going to say Afanasyev, uh, but apparently he he's went Russian. By, apparently, he went by Baby Love, good, probably just to call. make to make life easier for for everybody else. And it's mostly written. I don't want to say computerized, like he's obviously using a p- piano, but like most of it's not live instruments. Most of oh, it, yeah. most of it is just programmed stuff. You said uh, almost nothing on his live except for the vocals and the Celesta at the beginning. Why would they have used a live instrument for that when it's the easiest thing to play on the keyboard? Uh, I don't know. Like, I couldn't find any information on why they would do that. But it's one of the things that they made clear. Like, apparently they they wanted the intro to the song to be authentic. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, So this song has a lot going on. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about let's dig into the song and then talk about like sort of what kind of song it is and put it into some context. Sure. So one of the things that that I saw a lot when reading and hearing about the song is they were trying to do this throwback 50s, 60s thing, this like R&B soul track. And they they definitely pull that off. Oh, yeah. But with the changes that are going on in the song, like you expect a, a 50, 60 doo-wop thing to be what are called one, six, two, five changes like. And this is not doing that at all. No, I think I think the changes are more like Motown influenced. Yeah. But with these alternative like climb up chords that they use that are are. They feel out of place, but they work so well, and it's what makes the song to me really, really interesting. Okay, so let's get into this because I this is not a joke. I recently did a presentation at my office about this song, so I have many thoughts. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, I work for a very small company, and uh, we have an all-hands meeting every few weeks, and uh, every time we meet there's an all hands meeting one employee gets to present for up to 10 minutes on any subject of their choosing um and uh it goes in like hiring order so i i my number came up like about four four years in uh and so i chose to present about uh how songwriters use chords to elicit emotion and I talked about this song, and I talked about Radiohead's Creep, which is in the same key and starts off with almost the same chord progression. I had this conversation yeah. last night. I think this might be the fourth song we've done on this podcast where you've said, you know, it's got the same chord changes as Radiohead's Creep. That's possible. <laughs> I think like two songs ago we, well, we said this. Uh, I mean, last last time I talked about how uh, Bittersweet Symphony is a four chord loop in the same way Creep is, but it's not the same sure. four chords. Okay. Um, but so... This song, like, you think of it as a happy Christmas song. Like, you know, you can play it in, like, your Christmas party context. Everyone's drinking, having a good time. Mariah comes on. That is not quite what it is. This is a, you know, it's an unrequited love song. And because of that, the chord changes are used to establish an awesome amount of tension and release for this kind of song. 
Right. Uh, the thing that really sticks out to me is like the chord, this diminished chord that's used when she sings underneath the Christmas tree. Yeah. It's, so kind, it's almost daunting. Yeah. Like I've, it might be a diminished, might be like a C minor six, like my, something like that. Yeah. But it's uh, that is not a chord you expect. It's not a happy sounding chord. It's a very like nostalgic, uh, like sad, uh, wistful kind of chord. And it's because, you know. A, every song tells a story, or at least the good ones, and this is the story about is Mariah going to get what she wants for Christmas or not? We don't know, right? Right. Okay. Uh, side note here, which is not in the notes, right, right. But, but this came up last night, and I was I was thinking about it, and I want your opinion on it. So my partner, Lori, loves really cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies. I do, too. And they all have basically the exact same storyline. Yeah. Somebody has to go back to their small town. Their high school sweetheart is there, but they're actually with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Strange things happen, and the high school school sweetheart and the person who's come back to town... They uh, enter a pie-baking contest or something. Yeah, something along those lines. Find each other again, and then there's a breakup, and they miraculously come together at the end and fall in love. And I was talking about... I'm not sure I know anybody in my entire world who's fallen in love over Christmas going back home like like no of course not I don't understand how falling in love somehow became associated with Christmas time over the years with songs and movies when really in real life it doesn't seem to correlate at all well I think my I mean if I had to guess like honestly rather than like a joke answer like I think it's because like people are home and want to watch something that isn't going to offend anyone in the family and so how about like a light romance movie where they're allowed to kiss one time and the time of year that happens is Christmas right right like underneath the mistletoe yeah and also it's been like a huge market like Hallmark everyone knows what a Hallmark Christmas movie is. It's been a huge marketing success, whether you watch them or not. I know. It, yeah. It's it's so interesting. It's it's that or horror films at Christmas, like Krampus or Violent Night. Yep. Um, yeah. The other chord change that I think is really important is in the song is the major three chord on, I just want you for my own. That is a really strong, bold chord. Yeah. So, so there... They're trying to be traditional, but they are not being traditional. And I I think that even somebody who doesn't understand music at all, part of why this song has such staying power and has become such a classic is because it's not so pedantic like and it's not saccharine i mean I, I think i think you could describe it that way but i don't think it's, it's a fair characterization no it's it's simple enough that you can sing along with it that it can be on the background or it can be like the the life of the party and it it's traditional enough that it's it's it stood the test of time but it's interesting enough that it catches your ear yep so, so yeah, I I don't want to love this song, <laughs> sure, but, but I absolutely love this song. I, I encourage you to give it a try at karaoke. It could be very embarrassing. So, this all being said, this song did not hit number one when it came out. Interesting, um, be- because okay. because of the way that music worked in the '90s, you had to release something as a single in order for it to be counted in the charts because they had to go off of sales numbers and this was not right. released as a single it was released on the, on the radio so it did so it was like pre like was it like before soundscan or no, like no soundscan existed okay. but but it wasn't chartable right so, okay so in 1998 
four years after it came out, it charted, but it didn't hit number one. What is amazing about this song is it finally hit number one 25 years after it came out in 2019 because charting started having to do with streaming because everybody stopped using physical formats and started using streaming. And this song has, for lack of a better term, really found its legs, found its footing in the streaming market. Yeah. And of course, like including streaming does lead to some weird things like, you know, Drake puts out a new album and suddenly he has like the top 22 spots on, on the Billboard Hot 100. I, I just saw he's had like 20. No, no, like 72 songs chart in the top 100 since he started making music. Sure. It's insane. Yeah. Um, But this now every year for the last four years has been the number one song in December every year without fail. Yeah, that makes sense. And and it's not really hard to figure out why. Like Christmas songs used to be something that you heard on the radio. Maybe you or your parents bought the CD that was put out, but they weren't really released as singles. <laughs> I want to I want to meet this dorky kid who bought the Christmas CD. <laughs> There are people who probably have like large collections of Christmas CDs and they're the same people who have large collections of Hallmark movies on DVD. Yeah. Okay. Um, So I was just talking about this with with uh, with my wife, Lori, this morning, because we like watching Hallmark Christmas movies. How many like there is a Hallmark streaming service that you can like subscribe to monthly. Right. And I assume they like everybody who is going to sign up for it signs up in December and then cancels. Well, you're. Partially wrong because I just discovered that that Hallmark thing is part of Peacock, which is NBC's streaming okay. thing. Interesting. And, and unfortunately, Lori discovered this at the exact same time as me. And something tells me that for the next four weeks, every time I come home, there's going to be a Hallmark Christmas movie on nice. because we can stream them anytime that we want. Yeah, there's some good stuff on Peacock. Y- yeah, apparently so. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have we're gonna have to keep it around. Um, I mentioned this song. As being ubiquitous in the intro, you mentioned that you did it at karaoke in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't. Re- everybody knew it immediately. Yeah, I can't really think of other non-traditional Christmas music. Like, obviously, everybody knows Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. Sure, but like, it no, mi- I can't think of any. Like, okay, so there's there's uh, there's the Paul McCartney one. That's a really bad song, by the way. It is. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really uh, bad. There's song. There's the there's there's like a U two. <laughs> Christmas song, right? Well, there's Last Christmas by of course. Wham. Yes, all right. Very that, well known. Not it does not have as much like, you know, uh like ubiquity as this song, but it is up there. This song has more than 4.3 billion radio listens. To me, it may be the best known song in the world. So, I I was thinking about that and I think I, there is one other song that is clearly better known than this one. You may think it's cheating, but see, I'm, I'm going to see if you can if you can guess because it took a minute to come to me. I couldn't come up with any others that I could say for sure are better known than this, though. But, like everything that comes to mind instantly becomes American, and so I'm trying to think of like right. like worldwide. And, yep. and the only thing that comes to mind is something like "We Are the World," and, and no. definitely not, not that. Like, Absolutely not. Happy birthday to you. That's a traditional, though. Oh, okay. You said non-traditional? Non-traditional. Okay. All right. Then, uh, I mean, what makes something a traditional? Because Happy Birthday to You was, was written in, like, the early 20th century. Okay. By whom? Like, a couple of, a couple of women at a school. To me, to me, what makes non-traditional is you can point to a songwriter 
and most likely a performer who made it famous. Okay. So like Bing Crosby didn't write White Christmas, but obviously everybody knows. All right, White then Christmas. yeah, this this could be it. Yeah, like like it is known around the world. It might be the most popular song of all time. Mariah Carey herself is only behind the Beatles as having the most number one hits oh, of sure. all time. She has nineteen number one hits. She she has remained incredibly successful for over 30 years. It's it's incredible. She was just on Jimmy Kimmel a couple of weeks ago. And boy, she is a terrible interviewer. Ah, I bet. Oh, I, I want to see that. It's, it is awkward. <laughs> it is like deer in headlights awkward where she almost wants to be argumentative with everything that that he brings up. Like like. So, you know, you're known as the queen of Christmas. Oh, well, you know, I wouldn't like to think of myself as that. It's like. How do you respond to that? Okay, you're I think not of myself the as more, more of the Empress of Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's like she—you just want her to be fun and playful, and she's not really fun and playful. But she doesn't need to be. She's very, very successful. Yeah. So, like, to kind of go back to how the song makes you feel, like the the conclusion I came to when I was like working on my presentation is like this song feels like the holidays in ways like both good and bad. Like it has all of the like uh, mixed emotions of the holiday season baked into it, and I think that is part of why it works. Even the bridge yeah. is is like a little bit dark, right? Right. Uh, but there, there's jingle bells going on during it. There's a lot of a lot of things that they've layered underneath everything. There's there's doo-wop background vocals. Um, it is. It's very nostalgic and contemporary at the same time. And yeah, it, it the first time you hear it, which is usually in November, not December, you're, <laughs> sure. you're like like the the whole thing that she started doing on social media now where she does the it's time thing you've seen that right i have not what is this so i, I can imagine what it on, is on her own uh social media streams she does videos every year like that get released on thanksgiving day where she kind of pops out of something this year it's a block of ice as though okay. she's been trapped in ice for the last 11 months and Smart. she goes it's time <laughs> and, like announcing you're about to hear this song every day for the next six weeks yeah but she's not the queen of christmas but but she's but she's the empress of hanukkah right it it it's it's really incredible she, she jumped out of a menorah this year but which candle uh <laughs> clearly number seven it's it's dreidel night with mariah carey <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh she got so dizzy um so uh, one of these side things, it's always fun for me researching each month for our episodes because I always hope to find some little hidden gem about whoever or whatever we are researching. And this time, what I discovered is that Mariah Carey, uh, during the time that she was recording the album Daydream, was in the evenings when she was done recording for Daydream, going and meeting up with her friend Clarissa Dane and recording an alternative rock album. I never heard of this until you put it on the agenda. Have you it's, listened it, to it? I, I listened to the entire thing front to back. <laughs> Is um, it good? It's great. 
Oh, it, okay. I'm it's, excited for it's this. It's not on Spotify. Great. Let's do this next I, month. <laughs> I, I, fa- I found it on, on YouTube. Somebody sure. put together a playlist that has all the tracks. But you said she doesn't sing lead on it? She wanted to sing lead right. on it. And the record company, because she was under contract, was like, absolutely not. You can be on this album, but you can't put your name oh, on it. And sucks. you can't sing lead. Which is kind of for the best, because her friend Clarissa Dane sounds eerily similar to Courtney Love. Like, it's okay. a bit of a ripoff of Hole, but done really but well. I, I want to hear Mariah singing that. So the band is called Chick, and the album is called <laughs> Someone's Ugly Daughter. Okay. And every once in a while, you get, like, you can hear background vocals during the entire thing, and every once in a while, you get a little bit of of her vocals, and, and you're like, oh. Oh, there's Mariah. But it's so amazing that this exists. Like, the only thing that I could think of was uh, who was Garth Brooks' alter ego? Oh, shit. Uh, Chris Gaines. Chris Gaines. It, yeah. it, it was kind of like Chris Gaines' thing, only it it was so under the radar that it wasn't as deer in headlights as Chris Gaines. Right. Like, like, did you just kill your career by doing this? <laughs> okay. I'm very excited to listen to this. Yeah. Um, the other thing that, that I read and I don't know if I agree with is that the label felt that Mariah was taking a big risk releasing this at the height of her career because a lot of records releasing all I want for Christmas. Christmas. Okay. They, they tucked someone's ugly daughter (laughs) under the rug. Like nobody ever listened (laughs) to Like someone's ugly daughter. Like exactly. Um, All I want for Christmas. They, they didn't want her to release it when she did because she was at the height of her career and they were worried that it would be a career killer because Christmas albums at that time were supposedly, apparently, what groups would release when their career was waning. Like, can we find some other way to market and sell this band, this group, this this pop artist uh, before they disappear into the ether for eternity? And and so this was like right in the middle of everything for her and turned out to be her most successful track of all time yeah like so this this implies like you know the wham song like kind of a sad christmas song that's very successful this song kind of a sad christmas song that's very successful there's room for this to happen again and i'm kind of excited to see if it does who's it going to be next oh that's a good question it's gonna be uh Does, does taylor swift have a christmas album Abs- well, I mean, she definitely at least has a Christmas song, although I couldn't tell you what it is. Like the 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 like amount that I don't know about Taylor Swift is going to get me in trouble someday. Uh, yeah, you you Google this. I don't know who's it going to who is it going to be. Well, I, I will say so. We listen to a lot of Christmas music over December uh, in our house, and. Kelly Clarkson has a song called "Underneath the Tree." Oh, okay. Uh, um, I love Kelly Clarkson, and and it's really good okay like like i i'm not a huge fan of kelly clarkson but it is a very good song it was released in 2013 and you can't hear a christmas playlist without hearing it so in terms of something that's come out recently not that 2013 is that recent it seems to be the most recent but of artists that are like contemporary right now I don't think anyone wants to hear drake do a christmas song no i don't think so but uh, it'll happen you'll see all right, so we've said that this song sounds contemporary and classic at the same time, uh, and it to me it is one of those songs that like you sort of can't believe it came out in your lifetime. It feels like it's always existed, right? And and felt that way like from the first time you heard it. 
And I think that's true of, of last month's song, Bittersweet Symphony, as well. What other songs can you think of that were released in the 90s or later that you feel like fit that description? Not just hit songs, but that have that like old and new quality and you feel like could be listened to by people of all ages, maybe? God, the so the only thing that came to mind isn't a good example, actually. But the, the only reason it came to mind is there for a few years now, there's been this kind of trend of of making things that sound throwback. Like, have sure. you, like, have you heard the Black Pumas? Uh, I think so. They sound very, very 70s. Yeah. They do this 70s thing very well. But bef- well before them, Ray LaMontagne's album Trouble had this Neil Young-esque acoustic thing. And I don't know if the song Trouble is that well known. But, yeah. but to me, you could hear it yeah. and go... This could have been written 40 years ago. This could have been written today. I'm not sure. It's an absolutely great song. Okay. I came up with a few that I want to nominate, and you tell me whether you think they qualify or not. What, okay? One of these, I, I, I already saw it. I'm like, no, doesn't count. Okay. Uh, smells Like Teen Spirit. Sure. Okay. Uh, Alive, Pearl Jam. S- still very popular. Sounds a little dated. Okay. Uh, Seven Nation Army. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Baby One More Time. No. Okay. Hey, uh, yes. Okay. Get your freak on. Don't even know it. That is, that is. Oh, oh wait, 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 wait. Is, is <laughs> Missy that Elliot. Missy Elliott? Okay. okay. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could go for it. Kiss from a rose. No. No. Okay. Uh, we are young by fun. I can't stand that song. Okay. And I don't, I think it sounds. There was this. Uh, okay, I have one coming up that I think is a bad song th- that you will agree is there, a classic. There was this trend, like when the Lumineers were becoming popular, mm-hmm. where like everybody did the "Hey yeah. shout" courses, <laughs> and, and, and and we are young is totally like that. Okay, everybody, we are like yeah. I it it sounds like early 2010s to me and only early 2010s yeah still like it uh fur by blitz and trapper nobody knows that song that's i the, think that, you're wrong that's the one that i was like i think you're wrong i don't think anybody outside of oregon and washington know that song okay listeners uh like i don't know if we have an email address <laughs> um like get on get on facebook or some shit facebook.com slash hidden jukebox or uh instagram uh at jukebox hidden like do you know the song fur by blitz and trapper our our listeners know it Probably. Okay. Um, uh, My Heart Will Go On. Very dated. Very, very dated. I disagree. It's it's not her voice. It's what's going on behind her that I'm like, uh, that like, I can't imagine that coming out now and being like, wow, that that's a good contemporary song. Yeah. No, I think it. I don't think it's a good song. I think it's schlock, but I, <laughs> I think it fits for me. Uh, okay. And finally, Nicki Minaj's verse on Monster. Timeless. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I I think that that verse is absolutely incredible. Yes. No, I think if you listen to it now, it sounds just as fresh as when it came out, and I think it always will. There's also an Eminem song somewhere in there. Yeah. I mean, it probably have to be Lose Yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I was thinking about that, too. Like, like that's still played at sporting events. Yeah. You, you still hear it absolutely everywhere, and it still sounds contemporary. Okay. Jake, what are you listening to? And I want you to go first, because, like, both of mine are sort of responses to, you, to okay. yours. Okay. I'm not sure I've ever mentioned Neil Francis in all of these. Neil Francis is this guy from Michigan uh, who's a white soul singer. Okay. Very throwback 70s. 
and his live shows are fantastic and his albums to me like it's good songwriting but they fall a little flat you see him live and you're like why didn't the album sound like this well he finally released a live album called francis comes live good name um he normally tours with four as a four piece like uh, guitar he plays keys bass and drums this has backing vocals and horns and it is just firing on all cylinders i'm uh that sounds great and now i'm uh, amusing myself by imagining what if every band when they release their first live album have to call it last name comes alive and it has to be the last name of someone in the band <laughs> I, I I don't know why I'm going to like a bunch of really uh, bad Jewish last names. Okay, sure. well, like, like like Finkelstein comes alive. Finkelstein comes alive. Sure. Um, was, for some reason, the, the the what came to mind was Def Leppard. It's like Elliot comes alive. Who's Elliot? He's the guy from ET. Right. Exactly. Uh, um, also, uh, side note here: there are two Neil Francis's that are becoming famous right I, now. I saw this is so crazy, and, and and I only figured that out because I. Saw saw neil francis this neil francis and like i saw that neil francis was coming to town two weeks later i'm like well this seems too soon to come back and they spelled his name wrong and no not not in the slightest this is all goose geese scenario again it's even worse it's neil francis neil francis wow um number two cold war kids cold war kids 11th studio album in 16 years. Okay. They're, they're not quite King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, but... I'm going to admit, I know this band name and have never knowingly listened to them. I would argue that their lead singer is the best rock lead singer out there right okay. now. Except maybe the lead singer of Turnstile. Oh, God. This guy's so fucking good. So good. Um, yeah, Nathan Willett, who's who's their lead singer and, and guitar player and plays piano, he's just a phenomenal performer and rock singer. And this band started out kind of like, uh, I wouldn't say emo rock, but like post-emo rock. And now they've edged into a little bit more pop. And this is another really solid album for okay. them. And then, speaking of King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard, guess who put out another album? Uh, <laughs> uh, not Turnstile, no, unfortunately. No, I, I, I wish. Um, they put out an album called The Silver Chord that is supposed to be their response to their earlier album this year, Petrodragonic Apocalypse, which was a rock album, like a metal album. This is their, I'm going to use the word attempt at Electronica. Okay. It's good there are two different versions of the album a very truncated like 35 minute version with all the songs and then a very very extended version where they're basically trying to create like a two-hour dance mix and it it's okay there's this conversation constantly in the gizzard community (laughs) uh that you can't release this much material and have all of it be excellent. And unfortunately, I think this is an album that is not excellent, but you know, keep, keep releasing. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's impressive (laughs) that you can even do it. There's literally a new guided by voices album that I'm not bothering to mention, even though it's good because (laughs) who needs to hear me mention that there's a new guided by voices. Well, well, who happens every week? Yeah. Who needs to hear me mention King Gizzard Gizzard again? Okay. So I've got, first of all, uh, one that I can't believe you didn't mention, which is, uh, Andre 3000, new blue sun. (sighs) Um, I have listened to it once. Do I like it? I'm not sure. Uh, am I glad he did it? Yes. Is he definitely a mad genius? Of course. Like, I think I think everyone should give this a try at least. Yeah. 
you're not going to like it, but I, I'd give it a try at least. <laughs> Mo- 99% of people who listen to this are going to go, yeah, but I just wanted him to sing a rap. Like, yeah. Like, it, it's for such a teeny, tiny little contingent of his fans. I and understand, but, but like... It's listenable. It I, is. Yeah. I don't think it's terrible, but I don't think it's a good jazz album. It's definitely not what I want yeah. from him. So it, it's tough for me. It's okay. like I want people to be expressive and do what they want to do, but this is definitely not what people wanted after a, a huge hiatus from him. Yeah, but I mean, I like it. You know, if he had, if he had come out with an album that's like exactly what you expect from him and it kind of doesn't break any new ground and is kind of blah, everyone would be like, you know, it's fine. He's Andre. He can do whatever he wants. I like it when someone does something that they genuinely clearly care about and is 180 degrees different from what everyone expected and hoped they would do. Sure. Like, not not for them to do that, like, every single time for the rest of their lives, but, like, you know, good for him. If it, I don't think he meant it as this, but if nothing else, it's a big middle finger to everybody, yeah. and I, I kind of like that. All right. And then my other one, which I know you've heard because I told you to listen to it, uh, is the opposite of that King Gizzard extended mix. It is uh, by a British indie pop band called the photocopies it's called top of the pops and it is 13 songs and clocks in at 11 minutes long for the whole album and i think it is a masterpiece like these are extremely well written songs none of which are over one minute one of them is 37 seconds and i think works a bridge into it and it is gimmicky but these are like these songs will be lodged in your head and like you can put this on any time you want and listen to the whole thing because it's 11 minutes it's fucking brilliant i i was so glad that you didn't say anything about it to me when when you sent it to me i'm trying to find your text all you said was something like i don't oh you said I don't think you're going to like this album, but it's an instant favorite for me, and I think you'll appreciate the concept. That's all you said. Mm-hmm. And and so then I listened to it, not knowing what to expect, and I'm like, oh, this is really poppy. This is pretty good. And then I, like the song ends, I'm like, that was a really short song. Let's see what's next. And it, and it happens again. I'm like, that was also a really short song. There seems to be a theme here. And it's like, for for people who are extremely ADD, this is your album. <laughs> yeah, like like you do not have to pay attention for more than a minute, and then the next song starts, and and it's great because they know their sound. Oh they're, yes. they're not trying to do a bunch of different things. They're writing great pop songs, and they're going. You know what? That's good. That's song. One song in the bank. Next song. You know that uh, that they might be giants song. That's like twenty two short songs put together. Finger no. fingertips, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, the only r- argument I would make to that is this doesn't feel like a bunch of songs put together. That's the amazing part of yeah. it. Is it feels like a full album that's eleven minutes long. It really does. Yeah, it is absolutely satisfying as an album. Yeah, you have no excuse not to listen to this. I, Go check it out. I've literally listened to it a thousand and fifty times <laughs> since you showed it to me. I it took me twenty five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Where can people find us? Uh, you can find us online at www.hiddenjukebox.com, facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox, instagram.com slash jukeboxhidden on all of your favorite streaming platforms. Yep, let us let us know if you've heard Fur by Blitz and Trapper. And you know what? If you haven't heard of Fur by Blitz and Trapper, Listen to it. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Yeah. Until next time, uh, happy holidays. I am Jake Amster. And uh, popping popping out of your number three Hanukkah candle, that's me, Matthew Amster Burton. 